Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. Sam Bruce uh, on a sunny Sydney morning at long last, joined by Christy Doran after um, a mammoth weekend of rugby. Uh, Christy, I was just doing the maths before, and I think on on Saturday, if you uh, worked in a, about a five-hour snooze um, between the conclusion of the women's um, semifinals or kept watching the sevens from Hong Kong, mind you, before the test started, out of uh, UK and Europe later that night that you could have hit about uh, 17 or 18 hours of rugby uh, in the one day. So I'm not sure if anyone attempted that haul, but there was plenty going on uh, all over the world, as I mentioned, from New Zealand to Hong Kong and and right through the UK and Europe, Um, an absolute smorgasbord of footy to watch. Um, We're going to start in Paris uh, with the Wallabies, and France on Sunday morning, Aussie time, of course, uh, one in dramatic fashion for the second straight week, uh, a, a test going down uh, to the absolute wire and, and finish in thrilling uh, circumstances. 30-29, of course, won by France. Um, weirdly, I, for me, last week's win felt like a loss and and this week's loss felt like a win. But perhaps that's just the warped psyche of an Australian rugby fan uh, putting my uh, my Wallabies cap on for, for a moment rather than complete impartiality. I don't know how you saw it. Um, I know the Wallabies saw it, obviously, as a defeat, and, and rightfully so. Um, how did you see this one, uh, your immediate reflections, mate, after that match and, and what you uh, what you made of the action from Stade de France? I, I thought there was, a, there was an, a video on Instagram, actually, that, that Rugby Australia or the Wallabies put up, and it showed a, a bunch of the players emotions on the field very short, shortly after the after the test and it was probably the most disappointed probably heartbroken um demeanor from the players that i'd seen in a long time you, you, I, clearly the uh, the bledisloe test um, in melbourne you could see the raw emotion but it was more anger whereas this yep. was just a, a bit more of a solemn disappointment and um, an opportunity that slipped through their fingers and, and, and one or two missed tackles right at the end there allows for Damien Pinot to, to, to score. And what a, you don't really need to give him an inch because he'll, he'll take it and he'll score. That was probably, yeah, I think they summed it up well. And even Jock Campbell's emotions, his reaction after a, a pretty impressive starting debut, he, he, he took ownership of it, but he also, um, it was pretty clear that you know the, the, where they lost it was in that final tackle, and and he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't try to dodge the issue there, did he? So that was pleasing to see from a, a perspective where Australian rugby fans have probably wanted to see more emotion and disappointment when there have been defeats in the past. Absolutely. Um, let's before we get to that that final try from from Damien Pinot, go back through the game a little bit more. Um, as you mentioned, uh, a pretty solid performance otherwise. And I think a much better performance than what they put out in Edinburgh last week um, in terms of uh, the way they defended. They had to make, I think, about 60 more tackles. Then the French, uh, their mall defence was very good. Um, they, they seemed to be a little bit more control in, in how they were playing. Uh, certainly the attacking breakdown was a worry again in the first half, I thought. I thought they got better after half time, um, of course, the try from the end of the world is called by Andrew Swain in reference to that famous Barbarians uh, try from many years ago. Uh, of course, on the weekend, started and finished by Lalakai Fakedi, who will come to shortly as well. Um, as you said, there was a lot to like uh, in this performance, bar the finish. But 
uh, it was an interesting discussion on the Stan Sport post game with uh, with Drew Mitchell in particular, particularly vocal around the decision to bring on Reese Hodge for Bernard Foley and make that tactical substitution. Um, we know the length, uh, the goal kicking length that that Reese Hodge obviously offers, and and he's an asset to have on the closing stages in games as we have seen previously. But to bring him on uh, and to slot into that playmaking role on about the 70th minute, I think it was roughly around there, certainly stood out for me at that point. And, and Drew Mitchell really took umbrage with it in the post game for for Stan Sport. Um, so breaking down, mate, I, I probably asked you about four questions in one there. What did you like also about the test? And then how did you see that decision as yourself as well? Yeah, I, I think even if we take a step back just before that, we go, what about the selections and where did you think the Wallabies, how do you think they would stack up against the French? And I thought look, this test could go one or two other ways. Uh, there's enough quality in that side to push the French. I didn't necessarily think that they would win. I think they, this side's very capable of pulling off upsets, but did I think on the surface the team was, 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 uh, was reasonable? I thought some of the selections were good. However, I was also very surprised by some of the selections. Why Why give Jock Campbell a, a, his debut start against the French in Paris when you could have played him in the rugby championship? Why say you think Andrew Kellaway is a winger but pers- um, persevere with him at fullback in previous tests? But I think we saw players actually getting picked in their preferred positions, and that's always a, a positive thing from the outset. Kellaway has predominantly been seen as a right winger in recent years or a winger. Um, and we know his finishing ability. Uh, Campbell has always been seen as a fullback, and I've never thought he's been a, a winger. Um, I, don't, I don't think I've seen one good performance from Jock Campbell in the wing, but I think he's a very talented fullback. So you put those parts together and you go, yeah, I can see that the logic there. Um, from the game itself, I thought a couple of things that also stood out you know, Ian Payton from the Herald spoke about the fact that there were 66 kicks and I think he said that that was quite a few but scroll back a month or two the the, the, the English Premiership final had more than 100 kicks uh, between Leicester and, and Saracen so I didn't actually think kicking was that big a asset to that game Um thought in the second half there was maybe opportunities to run the ball a little bit more but on the whole I thought the Wallabies played very well I think you're right the attacking breakdown and that to me is the worst um the biggest work on for the Wallabies it's a complete mess and it has been for years and I think it was a mess even when David Pocock and Michael Hooper were playing and and those guys might be strong on the defensive breakdown but when it comes to the attacking breakdown you need a, a full team effort and guys playing continually near each other, alongside each other, building on the combination. So you know where this player is going to be. And they miss a Scott Fardy or a Dave Dennis, those guys that just hit rucks and clear out players continually. But we saw lots of positive things from the game. You know, it's a shame that Loak Ifaketti is going to miss the rest of the tour. Um, has impressed in his few opportunities starting in the inside centre. Um, Campbell mentioned, but he just did the basics well, didn't he? He, he was solid under the high ball, um, ran the ball pretty well at times. Um, I thought I thought the the, the type five operated pretty well. It was probably Taniela Tupo's best start in, the, in a green gold jersey. For the best part, Dave Parecki was solid with his line out throw. The scrum 
really stood up. So if you're getting the fundamentals right, you're doing doing quite well. But I agree with Dave, um, with Drew Mitchell. Close enough is not good enough. And and this isn't being critical and being over the top when you are critical in your analysis. This is how do you get better and not accepting mediocrity because a win is a win is a win. And and it's not, it's 38.7% now, the, the winning percent for Dave Rennie. And, and it makes this test against Italy much harder now because it's a must-win game. But there's likely to be a bunch of replacements as they prepare for Ireland a week later. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I tend to agree as well with, with Drew. I, as I said, I, I found it a, a curious um, substitution, not to bring Reese on, but to bring him on for Bernard in that moment. Um, on the attacking rucks, um, I was thinking more about this last night and, and wondering whether it was a timing issue, was it a numbers issue, or whether it was a uh, an execution issue. And I think it's the latter. I think uh, on the number of times, certainly the last two weeks, when they have either been penalised or been turned over, it's that first and second cleaner who aren't getting the hit on and executing the clean out as it should be done. Um, so there's clearly still a work on for mine there. Um, as I said, I thought it got better in the second half uh, on the weekend, but certainly again, early on, it was, it was pretty poor. Um, I was very happy with the performances of Jock Campbell and Lalakai Fakedi having uh, those of who listened to last week's podcast, have a, having called for both their inclusions. Um, certainly. Uh, yeah. Jock, I know he's, he's probably going to be sweating, that missed tackle uh, after Tom Wright's original miss there uh, for the rest of the week. But um, you want to see that as well. And he said that immediately after the game in his his post-match interview. Um, what about... So, Sammy, Sammy, before we move on, and you made mention, I didn't answer that part of the question, regarding the substitutions. It's important to kind of point these couple of ones out because... Um, Bernard Foley was replaced moments after Michael Hooper was replaced. And these guys are both two important leaders in that side. Um, I, I know that, and I've called for Michael Hooper to be managed better in the past, but and, and I didn't necessarily think that replacement was as bad, but there's no reason why you can't shift some of these players back into fullback or inside centre or whatever it might be. But we've seen... Dave Rennie struggled with his substitutions, I think, going forward in the past. We've seen that he, um, you know, even Sully Bunavalu in the Sydney test gets two two minutes. Uh, Len Ikatao, I think, got 10 minutes in that game. We saw last week against Scotland, um, uh, Jock Campbell get 15 minutes after Tom Banks picks up an ankle injury earlier in the game. We saw Noah Lolosio get five minutes. How he uses his substitutions going forward are going to be really curious. I thought Will Skelton was probably brought on a fraction late. He got 27 minutes. I would have liked to have seen him get 35 minutes. We, we saw him get a, uh, make a really telling impact. Yeah. Um, it's really important that he gets that forward, so um, gets that right going forward. Yeah, there's a lot to like about Will's game. Uh, two or three really nice charges where he bent. Probably didn't break the defensive line, but certainly bent it and, yeah. and got that momentum happening. Uh, he threw that inside ball for Taniella that, of course, um, kind of just got that momentum started again in the lead up to to Jock Campbell's try where they'd rolled them all forward a bit. It had got a little bit static at the back there and France had looked to disrupt and um, rather than Will attacking the line himself, just a nice little pass back on the inside catching the, the ruck defenders, sorry, the mall defenders a, a little bit unawares there. So, yeah, a lot to like there. And, and Brucey, it's so important. Like those, you're not necessarily getting line breaks, but if you're 
bend the line, it, it makes your attacking clean out so much easier because defenders can't just pounce on the ball. We know that that sevens and hookers, often they just, the Malcolm Marxes, they stand just behind the line so that they can be there when the tackle is completed and get straight over the ball. So you can't do that if you're going forward. And having Taniela Tupo there and Will Skelton there, they're two massive guys that defenders won't just target one. They have to then target two or three and spread their key defenders across the defensive line. And and that's so important. And with Will Skelton, I know that there's people that go, hang on, how do, how do you get him in the, in the second row? It means that you're down a jumper at the line out. Well, there's a reason why Jed Holloway was playing six on the weekend. It means that you've got another jumper, another tall jumper in the, in, in the line out. If it's not Jed Holloway this week, it will be Annette Hannigan, you would imagine, who's really improved his physicality over the last year or two. So they're the subtleties that you've got to look out for when you're picking a skeleton in the side. Yeah, uh, all indications are will will start double will uh, this weekend in Florence, uh, and certainly Jake Gordon also confirmed by Dave last week in this ongoing number nine rotation, um, which I, we probably don't need to to cover too much. Or having spoken quite a lot about Tate McDermott uh, last week, and we know that this has been the plan for some time uh, on this tour to give them each a go. Um, it would be remiss of us not to discuss certainly. Um, both the Wallabies' amazing team try and then the finish from uh, Damien Pinot. Um, both equally brilliant. One, obviously, a team try. The other, uh, completely uh, individual. Um, let's start with the Wallabies. Um, it looked like it could be scrambled back. There was a ball was bouncing all over the place. Uh, Helloway, Helloway, Kellaway scoops it up, gets it off to Fichetti, who has a bit of a bobble, and then we go through um, Campbell to Holloway to, to ride back inside to Campbell and back to... For Keddie for a 95 meter special, as I mentioned, well called by good friend of ours, Andrew Swain for for Stan Sport. Um, a brilliant try, and and you know it's probably going to go a long way to winning the World Rugby Try of the Year in my mind. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. The big things for that pace on the on the wing, and that's what Tom Wright does generally best. He, he does have the ability to burn players. Good to see him get some space. It was once or twice towards the back end of the game where he ran the ball or looked like running the ball when I thought, no, no, kick this. And there was even the, the possibility of playing on quickly from a penalty um, very much deep in his own try line uh, or near the try line, but instead decided to kick and did kick very well into touch around halfway. But the try itself, double touches, you know, from Jock Campbell to Lalakai Fichetti, if, if a player tends to get a double touch, in a phase, it, it's only a good thing. And that's what the best halfbacks or the best fullbacks do is they go hunting for the ball, they follow up. Um, that was the the real feature of it, that there was there was a number of players in support there. They, they weren't holding back. They weren't five metres further behind. They were in the right place at the right time. And even when Lalakai Fichetti almost got tackled, he had Jock Campbell there looking for another touch, which would have been his third. They're the pleasing things. Great try, probably one of the better tries that the Wallabies have scored, not just this year, but clearly in years gone by. I think, you know, their, their try at Adelaide Oval was really impressive where Fraser McWright dived over after a really lovely movement in the middle, but from a 95-minute effort, they're the sorts of things that the Wallabies have conceded in previous years, not scored. Yeah, and it's, you're right to, to point out the different um, fashions in which they've scored because you've got to have variety 
in your game. We know mall defenses are improving all the time. We know it's still a, a massive strike weapon. Uh, and the Wallabies did really well to repel France on a couple of occasions on the weekend. Um, the set play from Adelaide back inside to, to Fraser McWright, um, to, sorry, to Noah and then to Fraser, um, of course, the one on the weekend. So you need to be able to score in, in different fashions. You can't rely, such as the, the closeness of the international game at the moment, that if you won, you know, if you're a one-trick pony, so to speak, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to win consecutive games. Equally, uh, the margins are so small, uh, obviously, between the Wallabies two tests, one point in both weeks now, three points in Dublin between the Springboks and, and Ireland. Uh, one point this morning, uh, England and, and Argentina getting a historic win for for Czech at, uh, at Twickenham and rounding out just a marvellous you know, period for him, which we might speak about a little bit later as well. Um, and I guess that brings us forward to Damien Pinot's try as well, that you know, you really need these individual game breakers, don't you, at the elite level? And it's going to be the bounce of the ball uh, here or there in the knockout phase next year. Absolutely, you're going to have to kick your penalties. And and perhaps that what it, that's what Ian Payton was referencing a little bit more in his um, uh, Twitter debate with a few punters overnight around just that teams are, are loath to really put themselves in too much jeopardy inside their own half. Um, purely because of the threat of long-range penalty goals or penalty goals from anywhere. And then the the driving mall as well. But um, having a player like Pinode who can, you know, there probably wasn't a hell of a lot there. It was a beautiful pass from Jalabert to find the space, but there was still a hell of a lot there to do to finish and to step inside Tom Wright, um, palm off Jock Campbell, and then win the sprint to the line um, was the was the, the finish of a, of a world-class player. Yeah, we got a great... Uh, viewing of him last year, didn't we? When when France came down under, and Pinot was one of the few frontline players that came, and he he was strong last year in in July, and he was certainly um, good on the weekend. He he of course got burnt though by Tom Wright earlier um, to allow for that try, so um, probably a bit of redemption there for him, and and a great celebration, and eighty thousand people there, and we got a real insight into what the World Cup is going to look like. Anyone that saw the Six Nation, um, the, the game last November between the All Blacks and France, of course, would have seen what it was like, um, as well as, as, as France's great win over England earlier in the year, where you could just see the intensity and the drama unfold. Um, international rugby is, is so tight at the moment. We saw that over the weekend with, with Ireland beating the Springboks and with, with Argentina um, shocking uh, England, it, it's going to be tiny little margins. And and although the Wallabies lost on the, on the weekend, I still feel like this this side um, has the potential of one or two extraordinary results. Whether or not they can do three is going to be the big question. But there's depth in this Wallabies team that's about making. Firstly, I think the right selection, but, but secondly, making sure that you bang on with, with your consistency. And I'm sure yellow cards and red cards will play a big part. And I'm glad that we weren't really talking about that Absolutely. over the weekend, which was yep. a, a really refreshing change. Before we park the Wallabies, Brucey, interesting conundrum, or and maybe it's not a, a selection debate for Dave Rennie, but this weekend... He's, he's, he's already um, flagged wholesale changes. He said, we'll make changes this week because he's really highlighting Ireland the week after. They've got to win, but given the workloads of Rob Valentini 
and James Slipper particularly, we might see another Wallabies captain this weekend. And, and if that's the case and Alan Alatoa is back and he's fit, well, we may well see a, a new captain and Alan Alatoa shapes as potentially being the next one, particularly given that Mick White won't be a part of the Wallabies um, team this weekend from, from what we understand. We know Jake Gordon's captain, the Waratahs, and he's still the Waratahs captain. So be fascinating to see there. Um, the Wallabies need to increase and build on their leadership capability. So Al Latoa could be the next man. Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't begrudge him that. Uh, he's, he's done a fine job um, and having Taniela, you would think uh, off the bench uh, again, uh, given he's uh, missed quite a bit of rugby this year, uh, but certainly going to be, as you said, uh, a few changes this week. Um, they're a little bit thin now in the midfield, of course, with uh, Fakedi returning home with a with a broken tibia, I think it is, which is not great timing for him. Um, it's going to set his, um, you would think, uh, return for the Waratahs back a little bit next year, potentially. Um, got a bit of coverage there, I guess, with Pataira and Kellaway both being able to play 13. Um, but yes, uh, interesting to see what team Rennie runs out this week against an Italian side that, uh, you know, won quite well on the weekend over um, tomorrow, I think it was. Um, they did, yeah. Uh, I think about 45, 12 or something around uh, that uh, score line. So yeah, they've, uh, they're doing some good things with a, a chunk of that team coming out of Benetton and the, and the URC. Um, all right, mate, let's whiz through the other games quickly. Let's start this morning. Um, obviously, uh, as we mentioned, Argentina and England, uh, 30, 29, um, a real, another real grind of a test match um, with, with moments of, of uh, you know, fleeting moments of attacking, play none better than the the set play that um Emiliano Buffelli finished off in the left-hand corner um for Argentina a real set play stunner um getting outside um the England backline uh on sorry on the end of the the Argentinian backline to score in the corner um I mean you and I have we've spent quite a bit of time with Jet clearly over the last few years uh, I was there when it all went to absolute shite in Japan um, and, you know, we've spoken about it before, how he got swept up in his own narrative and this unwillingness to really develop a, a different game plan. Um, I don't want to play, play a kick and defend game with the famous words that ring in my bell from deep within the confines of Oida Stadium <laughs> a few years ago now. But um, you can't help but admire what he's done, not only with Argentina, but uh, the same thing with the, the Lebanon team. And we all know that, you know, we all have a bit of fun at the expense of the Rugby League World Cup. And, and rightfully so. Uh, I'm sure colleague Darren Arthur will uh, try and disagree with me yet again. But um, still, to get that team through to a quarterfinal against Australia, um, he said he really relished the opportunity to do it, to, to connect with the, um, the his family's heritage and, and homeland of, of Lebanon. And great quote this morning saying that I, I took energy from it. It really made me wanted to get out of bed to coach some of these guys who were amateurs and um, I don't know who else in the world would attempt to take on two different teams in two different codes. So you got to tip your hat to him on, on that and, regard. And in and, two different days. Yeah. Uh, on, on the same weekend. Um, and, you know, you cannot discount Argentina now. They've, they've pulled off some, they've got three big scalps this year. Uh, we're a couple of yellow cards away and another momentum swing of beating South Africa, probably at home or away uh, home series win over Scotland. They've got Scotland and Wales to come over the next two weeks. Um, you know, they're a team clearly now that can can knock off England in that in that pool, pool D alongside with Japan. Just adding another layer to, um, to probably something we already knew that they, you know, they can 
really challenge anyone on their day, but to win, to defeat a team like England at Twickenham where they haven't done so since 2006 is a, is a real huge result for that team. And, uh, and uh, you know, a hearty congratulations to Michael Checker. Yeah, and it's just been the perfect lead up for Michael Checker, isn't it? It's just what he did with the Waratahs, what he did with, with Leinster, what he did with the Wallabies indeed in, in 2014-15. When Michael Checker takes over his side, they are lethal around that 12 to 18 month kind of period where his fingerprints start to get right over the top of of, of everything. And in Argentina, uh, they've played in a couple of semifinals of World Cups beforehand. And the, the really big thing to think about these few victories that they've got this year is that it won't shock Argentina next year. They're a side that, yes, they, they play on emotion, but how they back up the next week has been their, their big issue. You know, we've seen that they, um, much like the Wallabies, have the ability to play a great match, but how do they back up? And, and we saw against the All Blacks that they, they beat the All Blacks in New Zealand, weren't able to, to back it up a week later. And now that's, of course, in New Zealand when you're always going to feel the wrath of the All Blacks a week later when when the beast is is disturbed. But how they now back up this week is going to be crucial. Um, really interested to see that one. But they've got some class. They've got a world-class hooker in Julian or Julian Montoya, um, your, your, your Befellis. Um, there's class written all over this. And it's also a coaching stable where I think it's quite impressive. You know, Michael Checker, it seems like he's learned a hell of a lot from from you know the struggles of the last couple of years of the Wallabies and that's no surprise that you get to go for a year or two back you know learn a few things have a, a, a lot of personal development there got to experience what it was like with Scott um, with uh, the, the the Sydney Roosters NRL coach his name escapes me at the moment yep. Trent Robinson yep so uh, look, those sorts of things you can't underestimate and come next year's World Cup if I'm the Wallabies and I'm Dave Rennie, who's going into my first World Cup and I'm up against a Michael Checker's Pumas, a Checker coach side who's been, you know, three World Cups. Eddie Jones, uh, he's England. It'll be, what, the fifth World Cup for Eddie Jones. So he, um, it's going to be tough for the Wallabies if they manage and presumably they will. And we all think that they will come out of the pool stage. But it's going to be very, very, very tough for a quarterfinal against either of those two nations. Yeah, opening game for those two. I think it's the Sunday of that opening weekend, England and Argentina, maybe in Nice or, or Marseille, as I was trying to prepare a little bit of a, a coverage plan uh, last week, getting just a little bit excited. Um, other results, <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, um, All Blacks completely comprehensive uh, over Wales, 55-23, and there seems to be some some real issues in, in Welsh rugby, I think, at the moment, not only at test level, but down through the, the club yeah. game and, and the regions as well. Um, Two years in a the row, they've given up uh, 50 plus points to the All Blacks uh, at Principality. Um, I think the All Blacks, number one, love playing there. Uh, hearing a couple of the guys interviewed afterwards just saying um, the atmosphere and and uh, the emotion in the crowd um, really brings the best out of them. Of course, the roof was closed as well, which which helped, but it was still fairly slippery out there. Um, they played some sparkling rugby, uh, but the big moment that stood out for me was um, the overly elaborate dummy from Artie Savi that we know so well down here from watching Super Rugby and seeing him do it probably two or three times a game for the Hurricanes 
Um, it was a poor old uh, Welsh replacement prop whose name I'd just written down before and now I can't find it. Um, getting sold uh, a Sevilla Classic. Um, the head went across and um, Artie poked his head through and offloaded for, for Aaron Smith, who got his second and um, had earlier scored a, a really uh, classic individual halfback try there that was a throwback to his younger years. So, um, yeah, look, I don't think they'll be any carried away with that, the All Blacks. Um, as I said, Wales have, have been, you know, probably on the wane for for some time now under under Wayne Pivak. Um, and uh, they've got a, a, a tough one. Or certainly a game that Scotland will, will get up for this week um, up there uh, in Edinburgh after their win over after Fiji. So it um, it rolls on. Um, Ireland and South Africa, another gripping contest, 1916, as I mentioned earlier. Um, could have gone either way. Uh, South Africa, they've got a bit of an issue there around goalkeeping, I think, and, and number 10. Clearly, Hondre Pollard's not playing on this tour. Uh, Damien Villams uh, stepping in. We know they've relied on... Um, Fran Stein in the past um, at what is he now? I think close to 40 or is he over 40? Oh, he's a thousand. He's a thousand. As old as Methuselah, as they say. Um, so I think that's clearly the biggest issue they've got leading into the world cup because we know the great depth they've got um, up front and certainly um, in their burgeoning back line and particularly in the outside backs as well. Um, so I think it's, it's important, like, when we're talking about these few few matches, on the weekend, France's first test of, the, of you know, in, in seven months. Wales's first ma- match in, you know, the same amount of time. And you look at the – Scotland weren't great when they came up against the Wallabies and, of course, Australia weren't either. And then Ireland, clearly, they get the victory. And we saw, obviously, England lose to Argentina. But Ireland – Anyone that follows the game closely will know that the bulk of their side comes from Leinster. Um, it's a pretty settled team. Much easier to get up to, to, to speed when you're picking the bulk of the squad from Leinster. And it's we've seen similar things with the All Blacks in the past with the Crusaders. And the element of cohesion getting up to speed um, is really, really important. So I expect Wales to get better. I expect... Um, sides like Scotland who were infinitely better on the weekend when you bring in a couple of the guys that were missing previously, you know, the yeah. Greys and the and the Hogs of the world. So clearly no Finn Russell who, um, if anyone follows a few of the Scottish press on, on Twitter or, or whatever else would have been, it's all about Finn Russell watch at the moment um, because clearly he's been left out and one of the great playmakers in the world at the moment. But Mac Hansen scoring for Ireland on the weekend. Um, and he, he'll be relishing the opportunity of, of facing Australia in a couple of weeks' time. Um, it was, so, yeah, a, a really intriguing international weekend. And, and Matt Gitto posed the question, Sam, who are the World Cup favourites at the moment? It's almost like a power rankings that we're going to have to start to do every yeah. week. But based off what you've seen and, and clearly a bit of intuition around how teams are set up and how they're tracking but if you if you're picking your world cup final at the moment uh, who, who's who's playing in it it's a very good question number one um look on, on looking putting their their woeful world cup knockout record aside um you've got to say Ireland just in terms of their i guess the consistency i know france have won now 11 straight um, but you think they had their their mid-year tour to Japan was a little bit softer. Obviously, Ireland went to New Zealand and won. Now they've now beaten South Africa 
at home and they've got, as you mentioned, the Wallabies to come in a couple of weeks. So look, uh, and just in terms of, as you mentioned as well, the continuity and the cohesion of selection um, through Leinster and, and what um, the style of play that, uh, that Andy Farrell has them going, they each know their roles so well. So we know how also how much they rely on, on Johnny Sexton. If, and if he is injured, then, you know, they probably drop down those aforementioned power rankings considerably, but I'm not, completely convinced again by France just yet. I thought it was, um, you know, quite uh, interesting how well Australia were able to shut down Antoine Dupont on the weekend um, and Roman Intermac ex- as well by extension. I think Intermac was probably hooked not long after halftime. Um, as you get, as you mentioned, again, uh, first game in that blue Jersey since July when they were in Japan, but I'm oh, sorry, those guys didn't go to Japan. So even longer, um, at test level for for that halves duo. So clearly they're going to get better, but um, we're well contained by the Wallabies. Um, look, I, I, I'm i thinking Ireland and, you know, I would have to take, I haven't done the machinations of, of how the pools and without having the four in it and doing your Venn diagrams, how they cross over as well. I, you know, I'm, I know that South Africa play World Cup rugby and I know that that style is going to be so important next year, what we've seen in the last 12 to 18 months around the way the game's being played. So that's my two. Um, but yes, uh, as you say, it's probably worth, you know, adjusting that month on month, given what's happening up North now, and then the six nations and then the, what will be a truncated uh, rugby championship next year. And uh, yeah, well, you and I were on the, uh, the 10 month count- uh, countdown rather than that word I just didn't say. Um, so really exciting uh, 10 months ahead. Yeah, yeah, in, indeed. It will be, uh, it'll be fascinating to, to watch. I think, even like an Entermac on the weekend, he he's he's come back from a long injury layoff. So I'd be watching them, and I think uh, playing without the ball at the moment seems to be the way forward. Um, and counter-attacking brilliance, we saw a bit of that from most nations across the weekend, really. So it's on a nice edge all these games, and they're down to, to little moments. And as Eddie Jones spoke about on the, uh, you know, and maybe he's trying to mask particular flaws in their own team at the moment, but that penalties, discipline and explosiveness when you have the ball and really just taking your opportunities is going to come down to it. So I think it is so open, but I think the fact that the French are playing in front of big crowds all the time, that they're playing knockout footy in European Champions Cups, that they've won the Six Nations recently, I think that really holds them in good stead. So we'll keep going with that one. Women's World Cup semifinals, they were amazing, Sam. Um, I don't know what you thought and if you watched both games, but we've probably got the final that many people would want. Um, England aside, I think it's now 30 matches that they're unbeaten for up against the Black Ferns, coached by Wayne Smith, who somehow managed to get across the line. Um, extraordinary game against the French, um, perhaps in probably the game of the tournament. Absolutely. Well, certainly the uh, final that New Zealand rugby were after. Um, I think uh, there's only already a couple of thousand tickets left, maybe. All signs pointing towards a sellout, which is fantastic. And hopefully we get a, a nice clear Auckland day as we had on the weekend for those two semis, as you mentioned. And yeah, I, I watched both of them um, from from go to woe. Um, and they were gripping, entertaining encounters. And it was, you know, I know it's a little bit like comparing apples and oranges, or at least maybe royal galas with pink ladies but um comparing some of the action we saw at eden park to you know as we mentioned before mentioning ian in Payton's take on on twitter around the amount of kicking and and i think what we kind of 
fear we'll get in France next year. We're hopeful that perhaps we won't, but I think deep down we know how the knockout games in particular are probably going to play out. These were two semifinals that were just ripping encounters. And I know a lot of that has to do with, you know, we've only got three professional teams there. And even then it's only newly professional, the Black Ferns in particular. So there's not the the ability to have honed skills for the last, or is it as it is with the men's, where, you know, we're two decades plus of professionalism. Um, so the, some of the kicking is, is a bit helter skelter, but what that does, it opens up the game as well. And, you know, suddenly you've got the counter attack um, happening from inside your attacking half because the kicking isn't so good. Um, I don't think they, both those games on the weekend were, were over refereed. Um, both whistleblowers, you know, stayed out of things pretty well. They just seemed to have a real flow to them. And, and as I said, as much as that was, were periods of play where the ball was being turned over, you know, multiple times, but, but with that, you, you got, you know, entertainment, England scored a fantastic try from uh, their own try from the end of the world. If you like from, I think behind their own goal line, um, France's power game through the middle. Um, they got a really classy playmaker there whose, whose name escapes me, um, who, you know, ultimately missed the penalty there at the death. And I really felt for her, um, but two vastly, you know, massively enjoyable uh, games of footy um, that really, you know, I, I think puts the stamp on this world cup as, as we all agree has been a real step forward for, for the women's game and for rugby uh, in general. Um, and now it's bringing that next collection of teams your Australia, your Fiji's, your Japan, your South Africa, your Scotland, your Wales, up to that level again. So, um, you know, by the time the the tournament's here in in eight years' time, uh, in twenty or seven years' time in twenty twenty nine, that um, you know you've got four quarterfinals that that when they if they played like those semis on the weekends, they're just going to be brilliant games of footy. Yeah, and it was really interesting how both England and New Zealand have managed to get to where they are and. England, I see it's a little bit like the women's um, soccer or football premiership that they have over there. They've got the best players there, the Sam Kerrs of the world, yep. and you just see how talented they are. And 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 I think at the moment um, Australia is is clearly nowhere near there. They don't have the depth of players yet. Um, and you look at then someone like a New Zealand who have brought across a few of their better rugby sevens players. You know the Sarah Hiranis the Porsche Woodman's, the Ruby Tui's. I think it's going to be really important over the next three years that some of the better sevens players do get involvement in the 15s. I was surprised that only really Shani Williams um, came across Shannon Perry, of course, as well. Why isn't Charlotte Catholic being encouraged to play in in the 15s? Well, interesting, Um, mate. I don't know whether you caught it uh, on the weekend hearing Sarah Nagama talk on the Stan Sport around that previously she was you know almost against this idea that um here was a group of girls women who've been working so hard in the 15s to then have almost you know imposters come across from the not her words that there's a mine now to come across from the seven but certainly she wasn't you know all that in favor of them given that um they were coming into the later stage uh when all these other women had been putting in the hard yards previously yeah, and it's a point that a lot of people do tend to make and you can see that on social media and, and you can understand that feeling too. But this is not, as Drew Mitchell said on the weekend, this isn't participation awards. This is what we're talking about is high-performance sport and it's cutthroat and, and performances and programs and professionalism, generally speaking, happens off the back of success. Now... In my opinion, the 15 side has, has been 
and I'm pretty dreadful for quite a while. And that's the long and the short and the really brutal truth of it. But if you integrate a few extra plays in there, um, a bit more class potentially around the halves or a bit more um, speed out wide, a bit more explosiveness in the four pack or potentially the centres, that's going to improve women's rugby so much better and quicker and it will put things on the spotlight and on the map, in my opinion. I think the women, the New Zealanders did that really well. Three or four of their really better players, their guns that have come across. And if Kalsik is in there, you know, that, who knows where they might have gone. But it's, I think it's important that you put some of the emotion around it to the side. And clearly there's going to be frustrated and disappointed players and faces. But I find it interesting seeing some of the, um, the reaction from the men's program too. And, and I know that men historically have been paid more in the sport. So that's a consideration too. But when Samu Karevi came over, there were certainly those fears too. Very quickly, those fears went away because the amount that they helped, um, the, the, the the general kind of um, uh, you know, give, not take attitude from some of these players, um, it's really like the humbling nature that a lot of them felt from it. You know, the next three years is going to be important and we know that money is going to start to get invested in the game and that's just super important. Um, I don't think it would just necessarily come and, and you know, to quote, uh, a, a, to, to quote, I think it was Bill Pulver a few years ago, I don't think it's just going to be pissed down the drain sort of thing. I think the money is going to be really, um, the, the structures is the most important thing that they're going to set up first of all before they just start throwing around money because if they do it the right way then hopefully that sets up the building blocks for a long long time because Australia's really got to learn from the New Zealand experience right now about with the World Cup on the horizon in 2029 they need to make sure that they're not just going to be making up the numbers not just scraping the quarterfinals but know that they're humming in three four five years and they follow a similar path to what they did with the sevens so that they can become the face of hopefully Australian sport. Yeah, you want to see them playing. Uh, we think probably uh, a grand, uh, sorry, the World Cup final at um, the new Sydney Football Stadium, Allianz Stadium. Uh, that would be really something. Uh, and Bien Torita, the other name we missed out coming across from the Sevens program at the moment for the, the Wallaroos campaign in New Zealand. Um, from the women's to the men's, we go and Menenti's misfits um, <laughs> have triumphed, uh, as they've been calling themselves, or I think Johnny might have dubbed them himself. Um, just a, an amazing run of wins uh, there in, in Hong Kong. Um, great timing too, to round out your rugby watching weekend, wasn't it? Of uh, Just through the late afternoon and evening. Uh, the final um, about 10 o'clock last night, Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Um, just, a, I guess, a carrying on from what they achieved early in the year, winning the World Series. And, and was there a little bit of a question mark around that victory given that New Zealand and Fiji only came back for, I think, about the last three or four tournaments of that series, does this victory in Hong Kong, which is their first of the professional Hong Kong era, and I think since Campo and a few others were playing there um, back in the glorious uh, amateur days about 34 years ago, does this wipe now all that away? Any questions that this team probably, you know, I don't want to say it had an asterisk next to it last year, their triumph, but given what they've now done, in Hong Kong, beating Fiji, who I think hadn't lost a game there for five years or something incredible. Yeah, 30, uh, 36 matches, yeah. Is, is astounding. Um, that's now 
surely wiped away any doubts around over their success and where this team is at now um, and what um, what John Manetti's been able to do with a real kind of, I don't want to call them ragtag bunch, but essentially that's what they are. They've all been pulled out of, most of them have been pulled out of Queensland and New South Wales club rugby. There's obviously some guys who are contracted to the Reds or the Waratahs or the Brumbies scattered throughout, but, um, you know, superbly led by Nick Maloof, the skipper, we know Morris Longbottom um, as a guy who's been around the program for a few years now and and what a role model he's becoming um, beyond um, First Nations people for all rugby young kids playing the game in Australia. Um, he had a massive day yesterday slotting the penalty goal that got them past France in the semi. Um, just you, you can't um, help but feel really happy for them and, and what they've achieved. And this is one of the storylines of the year. Uh, the winners' second side as well, incredible. They're the Commonwealth Games champions. So they they take out the World Series. They announce themselves in the world stage. I think you're right. I think that there was um, a feeling that, you know, without New Zealand and without Fiji for, for a large proportion of it, there was a little bit of unfinished business about them. But what an incredible! What I love about it is the stories that come from this seven side. The guys like John Menenti who go through club rugby that applied for jobs with the Brumbies and with the Waratahs and been looked over. You've got guys that haven't made Super Rugby programs. Um, I, the the guys like Nick Malouf who have gone to Leicester and come back and and he's probably not the flashiest player in the world, but. He's a guy with real leadership that speaks so well and I think has the utmost respect and trust from his teammates. Um, the Stu Dunbars that uh, played 12 or eight in, in shoot shield rugby and then get a crack and, and, and go well and play, have significant contributions off the bench. Look, you, you see the, this, the path that they had, you know, to beat New Zealand after being shocked by Samoa, to being 19-5 down against Ireland, winning in extra time. As you made mention, the, the the late penalty there from Morris Longbottom being 12-0 down in the final against Fiji. Incredible resilience. And that's the thing that I think characterises this Australian side. And I see so many similarities between... John Menenti and Darren Coleman, two guys that have come through Shoot Shield, spent years there, years, and actually know Australian rugby inside out. And these are the guys that I think Rugby Australia need to lean on more than any. Get them in a room and go, what are the things that Australian rugby has been missing for as many years and how do we solve it? Because the Australian rugby men's side was cut in half following their dreaded Tokyo disappointment. And, and with virtually little money where none of the players are paid more than $140,000, $50,000, have managed to shock the world, get a sponsorship on the front of their jersey. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this is a side now that is living and breathing high-performance values, which has been built from the ground up, not from top down. I think it's just such a grassroots story, which is awesome. Yeah, great timing too, given uh, Rugby Australia officially, I think, launched the tickets on sale for the Sydney Sevens, which is, um, I think, that last weekend in, in January. Uh, it'll be certainly nice and warm as it, as it is. But, um, yeah, given uh, what both the men's and women's, that's a dual event, of course, what they've achieved, you'd expect that, that um, tickets will sell uh, pretty quickly for that um for the first event here in, um, I guess, since probably 2019. So, um, yeah, fantastic Uh 
effort from uh, from Johnny Manenti and the Aussie boys uh, in Hong Kong. And um, yeah, the first series uh, of the season. So they've got a long year ahead. But um, if that's, uh, you know, the, the starting point, then they're, um, they're going to be very tough to beat. Uh, also an Olympic qualifying year, I think I saw... Or heard one of them say this morning, which um, would seem to be a year early, but um, anyway, uh, good luck to them for what's to come. Uh, mate, right, I think that's um, a pretty good wrap on the weekend. Plenty plenty happening. Um, now, my sources tell me you're actually flying north soon. Is that correct? You're not wrong. It will be Friday, I think, afternoon, taking a, a British Airways flight up to um, to the UK. So, and, and islands are looking forward to covering a few test matches, uh, which would be, which would be great. And um, I think Tommy Deason needs a, a drinking partner at the very least. So between that and maybe one or two rounds of golf should be a fun couple of weeks. There's a bad pair. If ever I've, uh, I've heard it's uh, Tommy, yes, flying solo for a couple of weeks. You'll be looking forward to some, some company and uh, you boys stay out of the Guinness factory in Dublin. Otherwise we won't be hearing anything from the Aviva come match day. Yeah, true. I look forward to joining and, and I'm sure we'll pod come next Sunday or Monday, but that'll be good fun. And it's a huge couple of weeks to for the Wallabies, really. Like they need to, uh, Andy Marinos said pre-tournament or pre-tour rather, that three wins was going to be a pass. Well, this is one of those matches where they absolutely must bank against Italy. So um, Jake Gordon making his return to the starting lineup and it's kind of nice synergy there given that's where he made his debut, I think, uh, in yep. Padova in, in 2018. So uh, hopefully that is a, a good sign for Australian rugby and, and maybe, you know, they came out there with a win, so hopefully another one this weekend too. Yep, another busy weekend of rugby coming up from the UK and Europe and uh, Christy Doran will be there for it all. Uh, righto, everyone. Thanks very much. Uh, Bumper Pod, uh, thanks for listening. As ever, get in touch with us uh, via social media. Give us a rating, a review around the grounds or wherever you get your pods. And um, yeah, we look forward to talking to you again next week. See ya.